If you're a veteran or a military spouse of another stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. In this episode of The Transition, I'm joined by Frank Pollock, a third-generation entrepreneur and acting CMO of two veteran-led startups, including Home Lending Pal, a two-sided marketplace that matches borrowers with lenders, and Blue Recruit, a direct hire marketplace for skilled trade workers. When he's not acting as a CMO, he's a volunteer for Bunker Labs, where for the last year, he ran the Consumer Package Goods CEO Circle. Frank is the real deal. He comes from a family of entrepreneurs and has been CMO for five startups and counting, bringing a wealth of knowledge to the Bunker community. On the show, Frank and I talked through his approach to marketing for early stage startups, the challenges that come with running a two-sided marketplace, and other marketing insights he's developed from his years of experience. Before you hear from Frank and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Frank, welcome to The Transition. I apologize it took us so long to circle back and get you on, but I'm fired up to have you here for a couple reasons. Number one, I know you've been working with some of our entrepreneurs in the CPG, CEO Circle Group. You've literally talked them off the ledge, right? Second, being Frank, I do not come across too many CMOs that are African-American. And, you know, I've been... uh, you know, it's one of the things I've been vocal about, you know, some of my other podcasts, just about how our lack of representation in the C-suite, right? And those key revenue generating activities. So uh, as an entrepreneur to entrepreneur, I look up to you on that, uh, as well as a lot of the exciting stuff you have going on with uh, Blue Recruit and uh, Home Lending Pal. So uh, just say all that to say, man, it's an honor to finally be able to sit down with you and uh, talk through some of this stuff. Well, man, I'm, I'm glad to be here. You know, I've been hoping that... Uh we get a chance to sit down and and talk a little more um, after you know we we chatted about two years ago on the uh, Bunker Labs podcast. Yeah, you know one of the things that I made a switch um, after launching the transition. I, I want to say it was around episode maybe twenty or so was when I decided like, listen, I need to bring on guests that are not veterans as well um, to provide you know, valuable insight, subject matter, expertise, et cetera. That's one of the weaknesses of our community at times is being so closed loop, but there's a lot of value that I think the civilian perspective brings to our entrepreneurial journey. Um, And you've been, again, advising uh, veterans on your own free time Mm -hmm. and also now as a, a paid advisor and acting CMO and stuff, et cetera. So, you know, let's start by just kind of having you introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, so I've been a, a professional marketer for 29 years this month. So I, I sold my first ad way back in the dark ages, and it was a radio spot. But I uh, went through the radio business. I worked for the old Cap Cities ABC, which was before Disney acquired the company. And uh, then I earned my MBA at the University of Texas at Austin. I worked at Frito-Lay's headquarters, at General Mills headquarters. I called on Target's headquarters on behalf of Colgate-Palmolive. I was the director of an MBA program at North Carolina Central University. I was a consultant for about 12 years and uh, worked on specifically deploying marketing technology stacks, developing marketing strategies, and driving results, and then got involved with two uh, venture-backed technology companies. I have to be a, a bit of a glutton for punishment to be uh, have an operating role and be on the cap table with two companies. So, company one is Home Lending Pal, 
And we're a platform where first-time homebuyers can find the right home and they can find the right loan. And then with Blue Recruit, we are the place where uh, to source skilled tradespeople. So, um, and I, like you said, I had a chance to moderate the uh, CEO circle for Bunker Labs. So I had, um, I had a, a chance to go to a Bunker Labs event, you know, completely by accident. Um, I was at a co-working space, and uh, a couple folks who were organizing the event, uh, Nick uh, and Dean, who are you know Bunker Labs uh, um, life or, or veterans, um, they you know invited me to come and. There was really good beer and really good pizza and a great community and um, everybody was very supportive and you know they didn't make me feel you know like i was you know out of place for being you know a civilian uh in a group of veterans and so you know i came back and so you know five years later i've been to the annual conference uh been to regional conferences run a cpg circle um and uh you know and on a first name basis with some of the uh board members so it's been a great experience. You know what I'm excited to learn from you? I listen to a lot of content. Even when you jumped on, I was listening to, uh, I mentioned I was listening to an audio book. And you've operated at the highest levels of marketing. Like you said, Colgate, Palmolive. Um, you've worked with venture-backed startups. You're on the cap table, et cetera. And there's just so much hype out there around entrepreneurship. You know, people think, that they're selling like this one vision of like what hard work and hustle looks like versus what it really looks like and what it takes to achieve success. Um, have you seen that kind of disconnect as well when you're trying to advise, you know, um, first time founders, et cetera, and what they should be focused on? Because one of the things I learned, Frank, is like sales, you know, especially in the early days. Like, yeah, we can talk all we want, but at the end of the day, you gotta be out there and you gotta be able to push product. And then you can start doing some of this other stuff but, you know, when you see so many people, do I need to be on social media? Do I need to be on here? TikTok, Instagram, yada, 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 yada. And I'm just like, is that all really necessary for the stage a lot of these founders are at? So, you know, the, the answer to your question is a little bit longer and uh, there's some nuance. So I'll try and, and cover as much of it as possible. So I'm a third generation entrepreneur. So my, my grandfather had a portfolio of small businesses in what was the segregated or the, the black side of New Bern, North Carolina, um, during a very, during the time of our country when, you know, we were very segregated. And, um, you know, my dad went on to law school and had a portfolio of businesses. And so I learned all of my, uh, I learned much of a great deal about entrepreneurship from them and understanding what the grind really is. You know, we glamorize the grind of entrepreneurship. There's nothing glamorous about it. It's, you know, late nights, it's early mornings, it's agonizing over, you know, decisions. Um, it, it is, you know, it, it is stressful. It is, you know, it is hard on marriages. It is hard on retirement funds. It is hard on, you know, health. It is all of those things. So, you know, if if you're coming in, and you see the, you know, the videos of founders and the panel interviews of founders. And, you know, that's, you know, the, that's a cool part of entrepreneurship. Behind that, though, behind the closed doors, it's, you know, agonizing over every dollar, making, you know, trying to get 15 cents out of every dime. It's trying to, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you're a venture back company like we are, you raise, you know, X number of dollars then it's a race to get as much as humanly possible done before that money runs out. Because the value, the, the, the edge that you have over bigger companies is you can move faster. It's, it's a whole thing from tech stars do more faster. Um, you know, the, the second part of that is you brought up about around selling, you know, it, particularly with software as a service companies, but also with consumer products companies, you know, the CEO begins as really the best salesperson on the team. So many people say, you know, I need to hire, you know, a person who can sell so I can focus on the big. No, the most important thing for you at that stage is get sales. Because sales are tangible evidence that what you think is true, what your hypothesis is, yeah, is validating it. If you're, you know, uh, an industry-specific software as a service company, 10 or 12 customers that aren't related to you or you didn't have connections with, that's a, that's a great indicator that, okay, there's actually something here. If you're a consumer products company, being able not just to 
sell, you know, whatever your, you know, um, candle or tea or supplement or what have you, not just at a farmer's market, but actually able to sell it into a grocer and to understand or mass merchandiser and to understand the, the, the challenge of doing that and to build a strategy, a structure and a strategy to do that that is replicable and scalable. That is, you know, now there's there's a piece of this which is selling it onto the shelf and then there's getting it off the shelf. So you ask, is being on social media? Yes, it is. Because once you get it on the shelf, you got to get it off the shelf. So you have to start laying the groundwork to get it off the shelf as soon as, well before you get it on. So, um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are all, you know, really good questions about the, the realities uh, of entrepreneurship. And it's, in, I think it is imperative that we as, as entrepreneurs give as much transparency and insight into the life, because, you know, if you're going to do this, you know, and I say this to, to people all the time, make the decision, you know, really do this. Don't, you know, tiptoe and come up to the line and, you know, do a little, no, you got to be all the way in or all the way out. And that's okay. It's okay to have a side hustle. There's a difference between having a side hustle and truly being an entrepreneur. That's why I had this platform to demystify the journey, because a lot of our listeners, right, they're coming from this different mental model. Right. Let's say you're coming out of the military, you had this perception what entrepreneurship is, or you worked in corporate America, and now you're like, I'm feeling confident to hang my own shingle. And you and I are both working out of our co-working spaces, right? I have a studio at a co-working space in Newark. You have uh, a, a co-working space down there in North Carolina. And what's interesting for me from you is that you, because of your dad's background, Right. You already knew what entrepreneurship was like. It's making sausage from scratch. It ain't sexy. You know, you're in there with your laptop. In my case, a laptop and a microphone just kind of making magic happen. And I think so many entrepreneurs get caught up chasing the expectation of what they thought it was going to be versus living in and embracing the reality. And like in my case, like I have no I know what it is. You know, and I know what hard work looks like and I know what it takes to build a brand from the ground up. And so once I shifted that middle model and was like, this is it. This is what it's like to be in the trenches. I've been able to focus on the things that really drive value in my business instead of the stuff kind of chasing hype. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you know, the the getting down to the, the you know, the where the rubber meets the road. One of the things that that in working with veterans or entrepreneurs, if if I tell you that you're going to have to work extremely hard for a highly ambitious goal and you're not going to get paid a ton of money, well, that, a veteran's already done that. Okay. So the challenge now is how do you, how do you, how do you expose a veteran to what the, the, the path of entrepreneurship is? Because they, they know what the path of, you know, serving is. Then I can, you know, X, A, B, C, D, E, I got it. I'm going to go forward. Entrepreneurship, though, is, you know, the, 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 improvis the improvisation and the adaption and overcoming. That's the part of it that you have to snatch from, from military life to and bring that to starting a business. And so then there's, you know, the understanding of how the business aspects work. So, you know, there are little things like, you know, getting lawyers, accountants and bankers lined up who, you know, can protect you, who can, you know, count the beans and who can, you know, make sure that you have, you know, the capital that you need. But even beyond that, you know, the understanding how because the military community supports one another in a in a in a um, in a very determined way, getting out into the entrepreneurial world and understanding the number of people who are all talk and no action, and it leads to really high frustration. And so, you know, I, I see that as well. But I, 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 I'm with you 100%. I tell anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur, you be prepared that you're going to have to do this seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. There's not, you know, there's not, you don't, the, you don't own a business. The business owns you. 
You and saw your you dad. Can... Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead and finish. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, you, you know, people say I want to be able to work when I want to work. That's why I want to, you know, start a business. You can work whenever you want to work as long as it's, you know, not, uh, eight to six, Monday through Friday and on weekends, you know, 10 to seven. So, I mean, that's just the life. You saw your dad grind it out and you were in corporate America, right? What? Yes. Did you have any qualms about, you know, hanging your shingle and getting into trenches, you know, because it can be kind of comfy and nice, you know, got the back end software, you know what I mean? You get the benefits, you get all this other stuff. Um, and you, again, you, you knew the reality. So what made you feel like, you know what, I'm best suited, you know, being a, a fractional CMO or, you know, starting my own, my own businesses versus staying with, uh, you know, such a powerhouse as Colgate. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I saw this at Frito. I saw this at General Mills. I saw this at Colgate. I saw this at Disney ABC. You know, the large companies really, um, it, 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 I wasn't necessarily a good fit for, for corporate roles because um, I wanted to, I wanted to solve problems and really to create things. They're already well-established businesses, and so they're focused on how do we manage the profits and grow them. And it's okay to kick, you know, an issue down, kick the can down the road. With Colgate, um, well-run company, Colgate is is a fast follower in all of its categories. So it's not going to leave the industry in 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 any of the, you know, they're not going to create great innovation in soap or deodorant or you know oral care. The problem with that is they also want to grow earnings at 10%, which is, you know, typically three times the, the rate of the economy. I don't know how you can be a follower and grow three times faster than the economy, but, but, that, but that's, you know, what we were tasked with doing. And so, and I heard this theme at Frito. I heard this theme at General Mills. I heard this theme at Colgan. I said, you know, and I looked around and I saw who's, you know, who has jobs that seem more interesting and more compelling. And it was, you know, the agencies that contracted with us and they were small companies. You know, when I was at, at Colgate, Colgate also owns soft soap and Irish spring. And with soft soap, uh, there was a pain in the butt called method, uh, liquid hand soap when they brought in and completely, they brought a design thinking experience to, to, um, liquid hand soap. They redesigned the exterior packaging, the scents, the nozzle, and they created this product that you don't have to, you know, hide it in some type of jar. You can actually put it on the shelf and display it. And, you know, it did extremely well at Target. And so when I started seeing, hey, this is actually really cool stuff. This is the kind of stuff I want to work on. That's when I, you know, made the decision. And, and it was, you know, it one where I had, there was a lot of thought that went into it. I had the pleasure of working with um, an executive coach who, he, he primarily worked with um, senior executives to see if they had the um, the right executive maturity to become a C-suite executive. So that was the core of his practice. And then he had me. <laughs> and, you know, for whatever reason, he took a liking to me. But, um, you know, so I, I got the same coaching and, and the same process as, you know, a Fortune you know, 100 executive would in making choices and you know we made a list of things and the entrepreneurial world was one and that's the one that stuck can you talk about executive coaching for a little bit uh i got exposed to it my business coach bill watkins from the lions pride didn't know about it right i just knew when i was struggling i needed help and i, I like i just kind of put two and two together like executive coaching i don't really know what it is i started asking my incubator and stuff accelerator but I think it's important for uh, the community to get an understanding of how people are able to operate at like the highest level in something like entrepreneurship when there's so much uncertainty and how having these kind of advisors can uh, be beneficial. Because the number one piece of advice I give entrepreneurs is like, get a business coach, <laughs> like find someone to be in your corner and hold you accountable that has the pattern recognition of what right looks like. Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head for, for a business coach. I'll tell you about, about an executive coach because, you know, obviously the, the role is different. Um, so the coach that I work with, like I, I gave you a little bit about, about his background. He was a chief human resources officer at uh, a few companies. Uh, 
and um, a senior, you know, um, in, in HR professional, and had done <clears throat> significant work around employee engagement. But he put me through, you know, a battery of personality assessments and all those kinds of things. And, you know, but, but it wasn't just like, you know, take the test and we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Then I had to go back and match those, you know, behaviors up with stuff that I actually had observed in my working life. And, you know, I actually talked to friends and shared the, the output of some of the, you know, assessments and said, do you think this is an accurate, you know, um, um, description of my personality? And all of them came back and said, yeah, that, that's you right there, bro. That, that, that's you to a T. So then, you know, the, the, we went through the, once we identified, you know, this is your personality here, you know, the other attributes that you bring that are, that are sizable and they're tremendous assets. How do we then find ways to apply them that will provide you with great job satisfaction? And what does that job satisfaction look like? And so once we had those, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this all, then it makes sense to me and I can take, you know, my, um, my skills and apply them in a manner that, that really, you know, allows me to be who I am. I, I, by nature, you know, um, an introvert, I am more reserved. And so a lot of my coworkers would take that as me being standoffish. No, I'm just not a guy who, you know, I'm not necessarily, you know, the chatty person who stands around the water cooler. Or, you know, there were things that, that you know, they misinterpreted simply because, you know, this is how I'm wired. And, uh, you know, so once I understood that, then it was like, yeah, I, I get it. This is, I'm never going to be a fit for this culture because, you know, the culture itself is based upon these things and I'm just not those things. So, you know, having a coach helped me understand all that, but also opened me up to, you know, the opportunities to go and find uh, places where those, those characteristics and attributes would be uh, valuable. Bunker Labs is powered by Cultural Index, and it's very impactful when you're able to kind of have some kind of confirmation of what you inherently kind of already knew about yourself. Mm -hmm. You just couldn't articulate it. And then when you see it on screen, right, it's just like, listen, I was never going to be this, right? And that mm -hmm. self-awareness and recognition of it. And one of the things I'm always telling us as veterans is in the military, it's like, you know, know yourself, seek self-improvement. And so we're always trying to cover down on our weaknesses. But as an entrepreneur, that can slow you down, right? Because while you're busy trying to be this systems integrator, when you bottom out at it, <laughs> you know, you're better off mm -hmm. out there talking, selling the vision, and getting a number two to cover down, whether it's a co-founder or you get your first virtual assistant, and then boom. And in my case, right, I bottom out at conformity, Frank. I'm literally like zero on the cultural index, but social ability you know, adaptability, I'm off to the races. And so I've built a mm -hmm. team around me that has really allowed me to stay in what I call the zone of genius. Shout out to Gay Hendricks in his book that is like podcasting, writing, selling vision. That's my wheelhouse. Not necessarily in the weeds, moving things around behind the scenes on like some project management software. So really, uh, there's tons of cultural assessments out there. We've got cultural index. You've got Colby. You've got a lot of that stuff. And so as entrepreneurs, we do got to practice this, you know, self-awareness. Now, Frank, you are a CMO, right? Mm -hmm. And as you know, going from zero to hero is not as sexy as people think it is. And you're working with two amazing companies, uh, Blue Recruit and Home Lending Pal, both uh, veteran-led. Talk to us about what it takes to go to market for early-stage startups. And you also raising capital. Yeah. So, you know, Home Lending Pal and, and, and Blue Recruit are both two-sided markets. So if you think about it in the, you know, in the technology world, an industry-specific uh, B2B SaaS is, is the simplest company to build. I'm not saying it's easy. Be, be, let me be very careful. It is the simplest model because it is, you know, industry-specific there's a specific problem that the SaaS will solve. On the other end of the spectrum is a two-sided market 
where you have businesses on one side and consumers on the other. So you have to be really good at marketing to both at the same time. Now, with Home Lending Pal, we're the, a platform to where first-time home buyers can find the right home and they can find the right loan. Uh, unlike uh, you know some of the platforms you may be familiar with, we do we provide um, mortgage seekers with uh, the same information that an underwriter would use to evaluate uh, their loan. Then our algorithms will um, simulate the underwriting process. So instead of you as a typical consumer walking in and you know throwing up a prayer and filling out paperwork, you can walk in and have a clear understanding of. I should be in an FHA loan, for example. I should have a, you know, I'm going to put 5% down. My monthly payment should be this. Um, my interest rate should be this. And it is, you know, I can qualify. My buying power is, you know, X amount of dollars. So you should walk into your meeting with a, a loan officer with those expectations as opposed to just filling out paperwork and taking whatever they give you. And then... When you're ready, because you can go through all these things, shop for houses on the platform, we'll pair you with a lender that has a history of lending to people in your financial situation. So you're not going to get calls from a dozen eager loan officers who are doing their jobs. Instead, you will have a chance to get matched to, you know, get a list of, of three lenders that lend to people in your situation and that are looking to work with you. Now, we have some extra layers of protection in that um, we allow people who may um, be more likely to experience discrimination in the, in the borrowing process to mask their personally identifiable information. So the decision is made, made on data. So, you know, when you think about what I just said, distilling that down to a message, finding the right home and finding the right loan, communicating that message to exactly the right people, and then making sure there is a clear path for them to go from hearing that message to verifying that that message is accurate to having that resonate with them enough for them to take the action of creating an account and eventually creating a full profile. So, you know, that, that's, that is the, the, the process that we think about with building a funnel. But then once they get on the platform, building the, the best possible platform that provides the most value to them. And so, you know, there's an, an ongoing process of learning those things and understanding the things that are resonating the most with the users and how do we improve them. Um, and then finally, you know, measuring success when uh, those same users become, you know, homeowners, they transition over to, um, over to some, over to a lender. Now, um, you know, with Blue Recruit, it's a much simpler proposition. We are the place where skilled tradespeople uh, get matched with uh, companies that are desperate for their talent. So we created a, a an, unlike you know Indeed or, or other platforms that are based upon an ad, um, a keyword, an application, and a resume. Um, we've got a, a we got a um, profile that takes about five minutes to complete, and we've got you know tons of great companies that are coming on ready to to find the next great, you know, master plumber, master electrician, HVAC technician. But with that, um, you got to remember that a lot of those folks who are in skilled trades, they're not on, they're not online in necessarily in the, in the traditional places. They have, you know, specific preferences. So we have to get in those right places. We have to get the right message because you know, traditionally, this is a, it's a referral and, a, and, a, and an affiliation culture. If you're a carrier guy in the HVAC world, you, you work for carrier carrier guys. Okay. But we have to have the right messaging for them to come onto the platform. And with companies, you know, they're, they're looking for, you know, the, they're looking for all these folks. So we have to, A, create the awareness, but also clearly differentiate ourselves versus uh, other platforms. So when you say, you know, going from zero to hero, yeah, I mean, it is a constant struggle to, to get it right for both platforms, um, you know, to get the, you know, from the SEO standpoint and making sure that we're, you know, getting people who come organically, 
the you know average, the paid traffic standpoint, we look at ads across multiple platforms, what those ads are, how they're resonating, how we manage our costs because you know the if you look at social media platforms today, you know Facebook has said this five years ago, the number of ads they've capped out the number of ads they can show. So you know, like they said on the wire, the price of the brick is going up. You know, so as those become more expensive, but flip side is iOS is blocking all the tracking scripts. So are you getting all the same feedback that you would to really hone down your ads? So, you know, and then when you think about, you know, media appearances like this, or when you think about, you know, organic social media, you know, the reach for that keeps getting, you know, shrunk. So, I mean, it's, you know, you're always looking for, you know, the, the opportunities to get the right message to the right people at the right time to move them forward in the process that you would like for them to take. Frank's being humble, y'all. He's a beast, right? Listen, I listen to startups for the rest of us. Rob Walling wrote a book called uh, Start Small, Stay Small, A Developer's Guide to a Startup. And the thing he recommends bootstrap entrepreneurs not to do is to do marketplace because it's hard enough uh, getting users, taking care of them, and then also uh, the other side of the market, okay? And you're running two of them, which makes me understand now why, you know, you provide so much value to our CPG entrepreneurs because consumers is hard, right? Like B2B, good margins, et cetera. But damn, when you're starting to go, you know, after consumers, I mean, you got to get a lot of traffic. You got to get a lot of volume. So clearly you're a glutton for punishment. And also you're clearly good at your job because I'm curious to know at what point does a founder bring in the CMO, right? Is it pre, uh, pre-seed before they get the raise? Is it after they get that initial raise? Talk to us through that process because I think this is uh, super um, enlightening for our listeners. Yeah, so I, I will tell you that, um, so these are, from technology standpoint, these are my fourth and fifth uh, technology startups. I think the marketing, I think you need a marketer on the founding team, because if you look at the business model canvas, if you look at the lean startup canvas, look at any of these, you know, um, documents, when you think about customer discovery, when you think about the value proposition, when you think about how you deliver the value, when you think about the revenue models, all of those are straight out of core marketing work you're going to i mean if you if you were to go take a principles of marketing class at any university right now you would hear product price place promotion you would hear segmentation you would hear you know value proposition in in the first week so somebody who can who understands those things is crucial because when you're doing the customer discovery work all of the, the language that you hear in customer discovery is going to become the language that you use in ad. When you think about the channels and how you communicate or how you deliver value, that's going to come straight from you know, the, the, the decision about which channel that you, you're going. So like with, you know, with Home Lending Pal, um, we have partner channels as well as you know, our, you know, own, our own organic efforts. Same thing with, with Blue Recruit. So thinking through how all these things works, how all these things work, um, it's a key piece of, of this conversation. Now, the 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 mistake is so many people think advertising equals marketing, and they understand brand and they understand um, user acquisition. That's it. But you know. You can, it is a much more involved process to to have a true CMO. So you can have a fractional person who does you know the advertising, hire somebody to, to run some ads. But if you really focus on the marketing of the platform or whatever it is, and you want to market it right, then yeah, you you, you need a marketer early, you need, very early in the process. One of my mentors is a guy named Christopher Lockhead. And he wrote the book Play Bigger. Um, and he's big on category design. And I saw you on your LinkedIn, you know, category development um, manager. But one of the things I noticed is that people, I've said, one of the things he says is marketing is sales at scales, right? Sales at scale. 
right? And I think of it as military, right? Prepping the battlefield, you know? So that way when they do get ready to make that purchase, they're already kind of sold. They have a better understanding of what you do, et cetera. But here's the problem. For a lot of small business owners and early stage founders, marketing is like viewed as like, oh, let's just throw some social media intern to post, right? Not necessarily like, hey, we need to drive this strategy to get our products and services in the hands of paying customers. And so I'm curious to know from you, right? Like, let's just kind of think through this of when you're dealing with an early stage founder, we got the obvious, right? It's like, okay, develop your perfect customer thesis. That's what I say, that target market, right? What is our message to the target market? Right message to the right audience. You set some KPIs and you get out there and start executing. But one of the things I've noticed is even in my own journey now is quality leads and sourcing quality leads, right? How do you think about that when you're helping these early stage founders develop their strategy? So I, I will, you know, talk to you from the perspective of home lending pal for a second. So, you know, we, we start out with, you know, demographics. Okay. Um, you know, adults 25 to 54, um, you know, and, then we kind of narrow that down and we add additional, you know, attributes to that. And then there are, you know, um, you have psychographics, you know, how we view specific. Then we have cohorts. So all first time home buyers are going to go through some similar experiences. And then we get to, you know, that persona. But as we narrow this down, and put that fine point on it, we begin to understand more and more about how we communicate with them and, and who will be a good lead versus who will not be a good lead and why. And understanding that why for us, but also understanding the why for them. And so, you know, there's a constant effort to talk to, you know, customers, but also to, to be around them. So like I will I will read first time home buyer groups on social media platforms all the time. Just so I can, you know, understand and, and you know, we've seen the, the change with the you know change in interest rates and a shift in market. You know, you'll see a difference in the post of, hey, you know, um I'm paying a hundred thousand dollars over list price to now more traditional first time home buyer questions. Um you know I dip into you know open houses and, you know, just kind of lurk around and listen to the things that people are saying. I dip into, you know, first-time homebuyer uh, workshops and specifically listen to, you know, the conversations and the questions that are being asked and the, the language that is a part of that. Because the goal is to talk about the problem that the consumer has in the same way that they do. Because while, you know, we can all play a numbers game, and if we tell enough people eventually, you know, we can get there. What we're trying to do is narrow, the, is instead of boiling the ocean, to go to the right pond or the right lake and fish there. And then to use the right bait. And then we, and we, we can have much higher quality traffic coming to our platform and once we learn its behavior behavior from that traffic we can adapt all of this message so and i realize that's a, a longer answer but I, I hope that 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 addressed any of your unasked questions how do you and i know you're big on data right and i'm gonna speak this is one of the issues i run against founders will tell me i know they're per they know who their perfect customer is right and then their revenue numbers don't match it Right. If you had your perfect customer, you would be making more revenue than five hundred dollars a month or whatever. I'm just telling you. I'm just letting you know what it is. You can get out there and make five hundred dollars just hanging a shingle out, you know, and going into the neighborhood where your perfect customer is, et cetera. And so do you feel like there is a tension when people have this perception of who they think it is and having to deal with the realities of who it actually is? and what it takes to build a business around that persona versus, you know, what they initially had in their mind. Yes, I, I think that, so I, I will tell you that 
Um, we're always looking for, with both companies, we're always, you know, our understanding of the consumer is uh, always evolving. And the market is changing. And so, well, you know, when you may have thought this person right here, but, you know, well, actually it's probably a little more here and we need to, you know, tailor that. And so, you know, there's always a reticence to change because as a founder, you're, you know, you start out with gut feel. But your job as a founder is to validate whatever, you know, your hypothesis is with real data. And so, you know, as you learn more about, you know, if this is your ideal customer, then, you know, there there should be absolute, they should click right away. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a great example. Uh, you know, when you think about product market fit, it's an elusive thing. But, you know, there's some products that just happen to resonate extremely well with the market and you've hit the right customer. So, you know, I'm 6'6 in my bare feet. You know, there's some sneakers that, you know, resonate exactly with me. There's some clothing lines that resonate exactly with me because they're, you know, they're cut for big guys. I, they don't have to do a whole lot of, you know, talking when I go in to purchase them. Same thing with, you know, some software products that I'm a huge fan of. There's not a whole lot of like, oh, this does this? All right, cool. I'm good. And, you know, so when you truly understand and, and the, the, the bigger question is, if you understand the target customer really well, have you built a product exactly for them? And if you have, you should see it in conversion, but also retention and usage. If you really have that down, they should be on that product and they should be, you know, maxing out the, the product's capabilities. Every feature, every function, like, oh, it does this, it, yeah, they should be in all of that. Have you ever had to advise a, uh, one of your CEOs to rebrand the company altogether? Because what I'm finding amongst the veteran community is we put so much heart and soul into it. You know, oh, I love this logo, or I love this brand, or I love these colors, I love all this stuff. But it doesn't equate to your perfect customer. You're not speaking their language. You're not visually appealing to them. And there's this tension because people want to win, but they only want to win their way. You know, mm -hmm. they're not committed to like Jim Collins says, you know, quit trying to uh, predict time. Just focus on building clocks. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I haven't I haven't advised a, a customer to completely rebrand. But so. So let, 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 let's be clear about, about what I, I, I'm, what I think about. So there is a repositioning of the brand. That's what I meant. Okay. There is the visual impression that can be refreshed. And then some folks will even call renaming a company as, you know, rebranding. Okay. Repositioning the brand. Yes. That is a constant effort and it should be, you know, there are companies I, I I've worked with that have been around for, number of years and they were you know making sure that their brand stayed fresh and relevant with their target consumer the visual impression yeah i mean you know if you have a a healthy design team i i'm not wed to a logo i'm not wed to you know if there's a better way to express this that's going to resonate um with the consumer because it, it, it's interesting like if i showed you um some some logos and some icons that are typically within software applications um you would immediately recognize what you're supposed to do with them hmm. so you know over time we can teach uh our marketplace what those things mean that takes a ton of time but the idea is that in context it's another signal for me as a consumer as i'm making my decision to confirm and then, you know, when we go through and we think about, um, you know, the language and, and the description of, of the brand, you know, another, you know, ongoing effort to make sure that we have, you know, kind of all those pieces aligned so that we're delivering specifically what uh, the consumer needs to help the business grow. 
Yeah, and just to be clear, when I say rebrand, I'm not necessarily talking fully just logos and stuff. Just like you said, how you're positioned in the marketplace. So if you say, oh, we like you go to USA's website, right? They serve military veterans. They got the flag in the background, people in uniforms. I can clearly tell that that's who they serve. And then you meet some brands and they're like, oh, we serve, you know, uh, athletes or whatever. You go to their website, I'm like, I don't see any athletes. I don't see, like, I'm like, if you're going to go after this target market, you really got to give yourself the best chance to win and plant that black, that uh, flag into the ground. Say, this is who we are, and this is who we're for. And what I was talking more so about, like, I keep having these conversations over and over, and I'm like, you're telling me this is who your perfect customer is, and I don't see them on your social, I don't see them on your website. It's like, are you really committed to seeing this thing through? Well, you know, I, I would say that if you look at um, how Apple brands itself, most people think of Apple as, a, as an innovation company. They actually are rarely the first to market. They're a design company, and they design an experience around you, and 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 so they integrates. But Apple has has you know taken the position that we are going to be a premium product, but we're going to deliver a premium experience for you. And uh, you know they've make it they've made the brand one that is um, it has resonance with a number of different communities and consumers. And so, but, but, but the question when, when you ask, you know, do you know your target consumer? Are you getting to them? Well, yes. And, you know, Apple does it beautifully, part one, but then part two, you know, it's not just the, there's the general market, but then there's um, video editors. Okay. And they have higher end products for them. Then they're, you know, real geeks who, you know, they have, you know, specific products for them. And so you can have different offerings for different markets, but you got to have that core. You got to focus in on that and nail that first. Okay, don't worry about anything else. Figure that out. Understand that. Get it right. Rinse and repeat a few times before you think about anything else. And I think that's what they get wrong, right? We have these aspirations of where we want our brands to be. We're showing up like Apple, but we haven't nailed the first product yet, you know, or we want to be like Coca-Cola, right? And it's like, listen, man, you are grassroots. You got to, you know, you got to really hone in and validate that, that, that initial product, like you said, and then scale up or we'd say that category expansion. Cause they're like, I'm a premium brand, but I ain't got no revenue, you know, and I got no customers. It's like, yo, and I know, you know, because you do the CPG circle. So you know how people uh, start to feel about, um, you know, how they want to position themselves in the market, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, you know, running the, the CP and, and for, for listeners who aren't as familiar. So bunker had a series of mastermind groups for veteran uh, owned businesses. And they, they had, um, you know, podcasting, real estate, consumer products was the one that I hosted. We had, um, I want to say 10 companies or so, um, and they ranged in anywhere in revenue from about a half million up to about 8 million. And so, you know, some of the businesses have been around for a really good while, some were, you know, earlier stage, you know, we had food, we had sauces and seasonings, we had candles, we had an adult product, we had luggage, we had some CBD related stuff. And so, you know, the, the, the challenge for them was, you know, so we got into this, you know, uh, growth mode, you know, some folks wanted to grow their way, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, the marketing of it, how do I think, you know, how do I stand out in, in, in this market? I mean, it, it's a lot of the things that, that you, you've talked about, but in creating, so, you know, there was one, um, uh, Red Ox, which is uh, a luggage company up in uh, Montana. And, you know, Jim, he, he's a super premium product, okay? And when I got, when he sent me, you know, um, a couple items, you know, from, yeah, it's, it's super premium, all right? That stuff is, you can't bust it. You know, I, I tried to, you know, tear this and pull this and, you know, and he's willing to have a smaller business because he's not going to sell to as many people. But he knows exactly who he is, how he wants to go to market, and goes forward with that. Um, you know, the flip side is, you know, a brand, um, you know, the some of the food products like Cleverly Granola, if you try it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you now, 
You can't get hooked on what you don't try. That granola, that granola is, is you got to be ready for that. Um, you know, mutt sauce, if you know Charlinda, she's a, just a dynamic entrepreneur. You know, she's got a premium product. Um, Robert Strong with a pretty Thai brand, he's got a premium product. And so, you know, they, they have highly differentiated items, which is the first part of having a premium product. I have to be able to look at it and understand and experience this is highly different than what is on the shelf right now. This is there's a significant difference between this and what else is in the market. Then you can start to talk about you know premium price, but I need to see that, feel it, experience it right away. We call that radical differentiation. And on my podcast, Dog Whistle Brandon, I'm changing the cover art because I got the Full Metal Jacket Kevlar on there, and right now it says "Eat What You Kill." I'm changing the gra- graffiti to "Differentiate or Die." It's got my little dog whistles in the back. Because again, I'm keep telling this to the CPG entrepreneurs is you have to radically differentiate yourself from the competition. Your brand has to be memorable. It has to occupy space in your perfect um, customer's mind. But again, we have a weakness in our space because we don't, we're very good leaders, right? Like you said, coming out of the military, for the most part, some of us are comfortable accepting risk, but you and your experience of five companies now, you know, you know the art and science that comes with positioning products and services in a market that drive demand. And I wonder if it was like, does it ever get frustrating to you when you're coaching and advising young entrepreneurs and you're like, listen, this is my fifth, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I'm not just pulling this out my butt, right? Like I got experience on this. It's like, look, you can go left or you can go right. All I'm going to say is if you go right, it's the easier, faster way. I promise you. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it isn't, so there, there's, there's, there's a couple challenges. One is getting the entrepreneur to be fully transparent. You know, it, it's tough to be vulnerable that, hey, you know, I don't know something. I don't know how the business, you know, this part of the business is well, you know, those kinds of things, part one. Part two is, you know, I don't, I don't judge anybody, you know, I, I, I have an MBA from University of Texas at Austin. I, you know, have an undergrad degree in economics from the University of North Carolina. I grew up in a business savvy household. So, you know, everybody didn't have that experience. So I don't, you know, I don't judge anybody or I'm not frustrated with people for not, you know, having that knowledge. I get frustrated for them not going to get the knowledge and not studying the craft. And so, but the, the, the real frustration happens with getting them to change their approach with the new information so like with with brian and with rich who's the ceo of of blue recruit i have said things to them on monday and seen the change in place the next morning and so you know that's the piece but that's that's the thing that makes you go cool okay let's do this but in coaching entrepreneurs when you give them you know the the answer and yeah, it, they they got to hear it three four times before the, eh, eh, yeah, that 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 is not only frustrating but it takes energy away from you know the coaching relationship because you know we could be you know we could be ten miles down the road instead of two, and you know we can idle here and you know go around in a circle for a while, or we can you know turn on the gas and you know let's really get this crack. Speaking of that, you know, I'm hauling Frank back from uh, print money with uh, <laughs> these two companies. But I got a couple things I got to ask you before I let you go. We usually on this show take off our armor, right? This is where we get vulnerable about something we're struggling with as an entrepreneur and stuff, et cetera. Now, there are a lot of listeners that think raising venture capital, <laughs> you got it all figured out. You're just winning. The same thing for, uh, you know, those entrepreneurs that have hit you know, uh, past the million dollar mark and stuff, et cetera. But I would love for you to kind of get vulnerable with us as a CMO and let us know something you're struggling with either personally or professionally on the entrepreneur side of the house. So I, I read an article, I'll tell you before I, uh, as an entrepreneur down in Austin who said that startups exist in one of two phases, struggling or out of business. So, 
you know, it, it's a constant struggle. Um, you know, with with both companies, the the challenge is because they're 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 established competitors. Um, the struggle is how do you continue to do great marketing with really limited resources? You know, um, you know we we you know we work to to maintain a lower cost per acquisition, but at the same time, we need to acquire lots of folks. And, you know, I'd love to be able to, you know, have, have, you know, budgets that I can, you know, just turn stuff loose and, and let it go. But instead, we have to be, you know, really careful in how we allocate our budgets and make sure that we get uh, as healthy an ROI as we possibly can with our, our efforts. I appreciate you sharing that. And then last thing is... We've got listeners tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. What advice would you like to leave them with as they continue their own entrepreneurial journey? And as a community, how can we support and elevate your companies with Blue Recruit and Home Lending Pal? Yeah, so I guess if I would give them one piece of advice as, as entrepreneurs, it's, you know, really study your craft. And... You know, so if you're, you know, if you are a, um, you know, if you have a function or a lifestyle, you know, because I had, you know, a consultancy for a number of years, really study the craft. If you're, you know, taking a leap into, you know, the consumer products world, there are skills that you're going to have to have sales or management. Study the craft. If you're, you know, going to think about if you think about, you know, the importance of, of what those elements are, the ability to sell um, is so instrumental in getting the business to a point um, that it becomes healthier and self-sustaining and you're able to, you know, kind of pass that off to some, because hiring great salespeople has always been a challenge. Um, that's number one. Number two, I'd say this. You know, at some point, you will hire employees. Understand that employees are employees and owners are owners. You cannot expect your employees to behave like owners unless they are owners and they understand what it means to own the company. Taking some notes here, y'all. It's not every day I get a CMO on the platform. Owners yeah. are owners. And so I think you have to be, you know, whatever it is that you'll use as an incentive to help your employees to engage, you want to make sure that it's, it's right for them. So, you know, I, cause I, I've seen a bunch of you know different attempts at this, but to get people to do the things that you want them to do, how you want them to do it and the time that you want them to do it and, and within the budget that you want them to do it. You know, that, that's really the challenge of, of, you know, creating great employees and a relationship that's going to, you know, be healthy and profitable. Um, as far as, you know, helping and supporting us, hey, you know, we can all, we'd love to have um, as many people as possible to sign up for both platforms. So if you're a skilled tradesperson and you are, you know, you may not be looking for a job today, but, you know, you may want to explore, you know, your options uh, a little bit then I'd definitely say sign up for Blue Recruit. And if you are um, interested in purchasing a home, especially, you know, we can handle VA uh, preparations, make sure that you get the right situation for yourself there. If you have friends or family who are, you know, looking for a first home, refer them to homelendingpal.com. That's homelendingpal.com. And then with Blue Recruit, it is bluerecruit.us. So, yeah, would love to have you, um, all the listeners hop onto the platform and, um, you know, to, to buy their first homes or to get, you know, a job that gives them a, a big raise. Frank, it's a Monday, and you spent over an hour with us. I truly appreciate it. I appreciate everything you do for the community, and it's such an honor to get to know you and meet you. Um, um, and, again, I will be sure to include a link to Blue Recruit and Home Lending Pal um, in our show notes. For all our subscribers, make sure you subscribe to the transition newsletter at the link in the show notes. I send out a newsletter um, at least once a week, 
So be sure to sign up. And if there's a topic you'd like me to cover on either this podcast or the newsletter, feel free to shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week, everyone.